This is Soccer City. It's possible you wouldn't know his face, but you could not mistake the voice. J.P. Delacamera. He's the iconic television commentator for the American game, and he's got stories. My conversation with J.P. in a moment. A woman who grew up in the north of Italy, a rabid Napoli supporter, shares her passion for the game as a soccer journalist for La Voce de New York. Uh, the Italian publication here in the city. Her name is Ilaria Maroni, and she'll share that passion with us later in the program. What I wrote last week was soccer is better. Being in love with soccer is better than being in love with a person. And that was kind of an an extreme to write. But at the same time, I feel that's the thing because soccer is always there for you. You always have these dates with soccer games. Well, it's amazing what a win can do. Yeah, we're in a good mood. Anton Tinnerholm of the New York City Football Club with a 3-1 win over Philadelphia in the regular season finale. And now they'll meet up with the Union again in the opening round of the MLS playoffs. A preview in our final segment. J.P. Delacamera, he is the voice of American soccer, named the recipient of the 2018 Colin Jose Media Award, which was created to honor the contributions of members of print, Electronic media, reporters, columnists, authors, broadcasters, editors, public uh, media relations professionals, a really important group. JP was honored at the 2018 Hall of Fame induction ceremony, christening the new Hall of Fame headquarters at the home of FC Dallas in Frisco, Texas. JP has called nine consecutive FIFA World Cups on television or radio and five FIFA Women's World Cups, including the 1999 and 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup championships for the U.S. team. He was on the broadcast teams for the 2004, 08, 2012 Olympic Games for NBC Sports, and he's called MLS games on both national and regional networks since the league's inception in 1996, currently the voice of the Philadelphia Union and the first play-by-play announcer to be inducted. J.P. Delacamera, welcome to Soccer City. It's an honor, sir. Glenn, pleasure's all mine. Thank you. I would like to ask you if you could just maybe just share with us for a moment your experience at the Hall of Fame. A lot of things going on, including the, this new building, but uh, to be honored, all the different people that uh, from over the years that uh, you've been in contact with there. So what was the experience like for you? Uh, I call it, Glenn, one of the greatest nights of my professional career. Uh, it was uh, an honor, first of all, to get the award, uh, to, to be honored on the same night as five other outstanding contributors to the sport, including my former Fox broadcast colleague, Brad Friedel. So it had some familiarity to that. Um, it was the opening of the Hall of Fame building itself. You know, all of our stuff has been in storage for so many years, so that made it special. My wife Donna was there. My daughters, uh, Kristen and Jacqueline, were there. Uh, that made it, um, you know, even more special that I could share the night with them. All great. Ran into some people that I haven't seen in years. A lot of people from my indoor soccer days, uh, many of whom I recognized. You know, some I didn't, but it was great to <laughs> renew those acquaintances. You know, a couple of people said my name, remembered me, and... You know, but for the most part, I, I had remembered them. You know, it wasn't all. Well, that well they long didn't. Ago. They didn't have. They didn't have the name tags. Well, they <laughs> did, but but they introduced themselves uh, like first. You know what it is, Oakland. You've probably done this before. You know, when you go to this big group and everybody's got name tags, you, you, it's pretty obvious when you're staring at the name. That's tag, right. You know, so so I try not to do that. So I'm hoping that 
if I'm drawing a, a confused look, <laughs> that um, they will say something quickly. You know, I talk to somebody, and, and you're probably good at this too, right? You're kind of bluffing your way through, right? Like you think, I, I know this person. Let me, let, me, let me keep going. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. And then there was one guy. I don't want to say who it was, but there was one person I thought, son of a gun. I, I mean, I know who he is. I'm drawing blank on him. You know, he looks different to me than last time I saw him, which could have been, you know, 25 or 30 years ago. And within maybe two minutes of me leaving that person and sitting back down at my table, I thought, I know who that is. Little did we know we'd get interpersonal communication tips from J.P. Delacamera on this. Hall of Fame. Before we move on from the hall... Uh, and the building, uh, and it was a frustration for a time. I went up to Oneonta years ago, Oneonta, New York, where the original Hall of Fame was, and then yeah. it went into hiatus. The doors were closed, and you, you talked about these things being in storage, like you're talking trophies, signed, I mean, I, I'm yeah. sure, a myriad of things. Our history, as I said to people in various conversations over the weekend, our history was in cardboard boxes, right? If there was a, a flood or a fire... Um, any kind of damage done, that's our history. We only have one, right? There's only, you know, one ball that Brandy Chastain kicked for the winning penalty kick back in 1999. You know, there's only one original jersey from this particular game or this ball or this trophy or, or whatever it is, right? And, you know, to have it in storage anywhere for that long of a period of time, you know, water damage, fire, anything, smoke damage, right? That's our history, and it's gone. So we were probably fortunate in some ways that we didn't lose a lot of the things. You called, in my opinion, the most significant match in modern U.S. soccer history. I guess suppose there could be some argument, but Port of Spain, Trinidad. Yeah. Yeah. November 19, 1989, Paul Caligiri's famous goal, shot heard around the world. Some have called it to defeat Trinidad and Tobago and send the men to their first World Cup in 40 years. I, I just... I wonder, I, I mean, I know a lot has happened in your career since and in your life since, but do you flash back to that one every now and then? You know, I, I do, and, and I, I don't do it on my own, to be honest with you, but whenever there's like an anniversary, or in this case, Hall of Fame, you know, something that draws attention to that moment, there's video all over the place, and you get to watch it again, you see it again, and um, probably that game, Glenn, and also the... 99 Women's World Cup Final were the most vivid in my memory, not just for the game itself, but for everything else. Like I can remember landing with a team in Trinidad. And back then, I don't know if you can still do it in Trinidad, but back then you could come to the, to the gate like we did in the States before 9-11. And there were, I don't know, hundreds of people singing and chanting and, and yelling at the U.S. team as they got off that plane. And I remember people painting their houses red, cars red, all kinds of things red. And, you know, in the stadium sold out. Uh, we were there probably four, five hours. Not four. It had to be five hours in advance of the kickoff. And people sang the entire time. Never, never stopped once. The entire time, like five hours. It was like the biggest tailgate party, but it was inside the stadium itself. And it was a sea of red completely minus two rows of USA supporters. That was it back then. You know, now uh, we'll have a lot more supporters there no matter where the game is. But back then, it was two rows of soccer people, and I think most of them were probably from U.S. soccer or another organization connected with U.S. soccer. So I remember so much, so, so much about that. You know, leaving the stadium, 
uh, all of that stuff. Walking down on the field, seeing Uzis for the first time in my life, you know, walking by security guards. It's, I remember more about that game, you know, that experience and the game I did yesterday in Philadelphia. And what we all remember is your call of the goal. I, I'm always curious. I've never asked you this, I don't think. What were the broadcast conditions like? What was your setup? I mean, was there any we had fear? A press box. Okay. We had a press box. I can't remember. I, I, I would think that the, 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 I don't even know if there was glass in it, but I'm sure it was open. I'm sure they didn't have glass there. I think we could see it and hear it. Um, so it wasn't bad. As I understand it, as, as people have told me, I don't even remember this, but I don't think we were on live that day. I think we were on tape delay. Uh, and it was before social media, but word still got out some way, somehow, you know, that the U.S. had won and that they had qualified. We're with the J.P. Della Camera, your broadcast partner for the most recent World Cup in Russia, Tony Miola. Ironic yeah. that he was a guy in goal for that match in Trinidad, yes? That's right. Yeah, he was a young kid. He was probably, I want to say, like 19, whatever it was. But I, I remember... we. We as a country, right, we had to win that game. A draw wasn't good, right? And people said to me, isn't it bad that, you know, they, they can't get a draw and advance? You know, now they have to win the game. And I said, no. I said, this is fine. I said, we're not – back then, I said, we're not – our culture was not such a, that we knew how to play for a draw like the Europeans did. So I said, no, we're not comfortable with that. We're Americans. We're used to, you know, playing for a result, playing to win – not uh, playing not to lose or playing for a draw. So I said, I think this is good. And I remember saying at the time, this kid in goal is so, so confident. He was. Like, Tony, when Tony was like 18 or 19, I mean, he had the confidence to me of a, of a 25, 26-year-old goalkeeper. He was like a college keeper. You know, that's where some of our players were, were playing back then, right? So uh, Tony was advanced, I think, beyond his years. He was confident. And I think Tony's confidence gave his teammates confidence, gave me confidence as an observer, as a fan, as a media person, that he could pull that off. Well, let's get to that other massive event that you called, the 1999 Women's World Cup. Brandy Chastain, the winner in penalties, the uh, subsequent uh, sports bra celebration. Yep. And the 90,000-plus at the Rose Bowl, which, yep. I, you know, I don't know what aspect of, of this particular World Cup suits your memory but, but where does that rank in your memories this uh, this whole event well the big thing there if, if you remember you know when the men would play at the rose bowl if they played against mexico uh what was the crowd like if there was ninety thousand there back in those days because i remember I, I did a game there and there must have been eighty five thousand rooting for mexico and maybe five thousand rooting for the u.s right it was a pro usa crowd pro uh you know it wasn't a hundred percent i'm sure there were fans supporting China there, but, but there were not many. So it was a, a real big feel, you know, USA type event to it. And we saw it building throughout the tournament, right? Before, uh, if you remember this, before they even picked all of these stadiums, the original thought was to play in smaller stadiums, like high school, college stadiums. And uh, someone, I think it was Marla Messing who was in charge at the time. And she probably had other people, you know, in her ear as well, but somebody came up with a line that, you know, Americans are big event people. You know, they will fill the stadiums. If this is a big event, they will come. And so someone made the decision to go to the bigger stadiums. And when they sold out in New Jersey, they were on their way. But I think momentum, Glenn, just kept picking up, picking up. If you remember the commercials that they had on television that got a great amount of exposure. They were on David Letterman's show almost on a nightly basis. I think Dan Rather, when he was doing CBS, 
uh, did stories on them. There were celebrities going to training. I mean, this was like rock star status for these women. The humble media star of American soccer, J.P. Della Camera. There's an aspiring soccer journalist living in the West Village, raised in Treviso, Italy, 30 minutes from Venice. I met Ilaria Moroni at the launch of a mini-pitch in the Bronx, part of the New York City Soccer Initiative. A woman with a vast education and intriguing travel experiences and a massive passion for the game. She writes for La Voce di New York with offices at the UN. Ilaria first told me about her arrival in the city working as a nanny. I still remember that. That was in Brooklyn, Bensonhurst. And that was the time that I fell in love with New York. I have a background in international relations and human rights, but soccer has always been my passion because I know it's weird to say, but as an Italian, I think I just have it in my blood. I don't know. I think there's nothing better than soccer. And what I wrote last week was... Soccer is better. Being in love with soccer is better than being in love with a person. And that was kind of an an extreme to write. But at the same time, I feel that's the thing because soccer is always there for you. You always have these dates with soccer games. The best part of the year is when you have Champions League, you have the Italian Cup, you have the Italian Serie A. Then sometimes you have the Italian national team that plays and it kind of interrupts the frenziness. Uh, sometimes the Italian national team doesn't go to the World Cup. I know. <laughs> I'm Do sorry. we have to talk about that? <laughs> but but explain more thoroughly your passion. You know, what is it about the game that – was it your surroundings? Was it your family? What is it? It is the surrounding. It is the fact that you sit with your family. And especially when most of the games were being played on a Sunday afternoon, it was a time for Italian families to sit in front of the TV or to just go to a cafe and all together with your family, with your friends, you just cheer for your team. And those are 90 minutes of quality time that you spend with other people. Even if you end up hating each other, especially with my college friends, because we all supported different teams. And in those 90 minutes, it felt like we were not even friends anymore. We were screaming at each other. We were betting against each other. But then at the end of the game, we were all happy and we were going home and we had a nice evening. So you've... uh always had the competitive spirit and you've always supported uh, a particular team. So my parents are from Napoli and uh, back in the 80s, a lot of people from the south of Italy moved to the north because the south of Italy was and it still is, uh, I would say, underdeveloped compared to the north. So a lot of people moved uh, in search of new job opportunities and that what happened with my family. They are from Napoli and that's what they brought to the north. So we have a lot of friends that are from Napoli and they also come to our house and watch the game. And one interesting thing about the people from the South is that they're very superstitious. So we have different seat arrangements in the house. We know that my mom sometimes can be a jinx. So we all, if Napoli is playing and Napoli is losing, we ask my mom to step out of the room and make some phone calls, <laughs> <laughs> which is really mean, I know. Does but- she oblige? She does. Because and she it knows works. because she's superstitious and knows that, yep, I need to leave now. It works. I swear. I don't know why. I know it doesn't have any rational sense, but it works. So you're in New York City. Uh, I'm sure one of the first things you did when you arrived is find out where the Napoli supporters are and where they watch the game. So have you figured that out? So even before coming to New York City, I remember reading an article about the best pizzas in the world. 
And one of the places that was mentioned was uh, Ribalta. It's a pizza place on 12 and Broadway. And it also happened to be the Napoli Club in New York City. So I went there the first time. It was February. I still remember it. It was Napoli against Benevento. Benevento is such a small team. They just got promoted last year in the Serie A for their first time in the history. And I went there. Napoli won 2-0. And I saw what happens during the game and it's actually really wild i really recommend people to go when there's an important game and yesterday i was talking to the owner his name is rosario and he told me a lady left a really bad trip advisor review he said that it was not a restaurant that she was shocked that her baby was crying because she happened to be there during juventus against napoli <laughs> And she said, I'm so impressed by the owner, badly impressed by the owner, because instead of welcoming me, he kept shouting and he kept singing with his friends. Uh, it, it was like being at the stadium. is not at all being in a classy restaurant. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So that's passion we're talking about. And your time in the States here, you do cover New York City uh, FC for La Voce, and you've seen the supporters, and you've even traveled with the supporters and I want to ask you about that but is that something that you you notice right away it's it's not the same sort of passion or or is it so there are a few differences that I noticed the first time that I went at the Yankee Stadium that was March uh, it was 17 of March 2018 New York City FC played against played and won against Orlando and I remember when I went to this, whenever I go to the stadium in Italy I go there two hours before because that's what the supporters do they have to go there in time they have to get a good seat because so you go inside the stadium two, two hours, hours before. before yeah and two hours before it's to get a good seat because seats are numbered but in the supporter section they're not really numbered so you want to get free a good for all eh? exactly so you want to get a good seat because everybody's going to be standing and singing uh, you want to eat before you get there and by eating i don't mean buying food inside the stadium but like bringing your own food from home so i went there two hours before as i said and i thought i missed something i thought the game was moved at a different time because there was nobody even half an hour before the game I have a picture on my phone that shows that half an hour before the game started, all the seats were empty. Oh, another thing that surprised me is that you have this camera and they focus on supporters on a date, like the kiss camera, whenever you see movies. <laughs> we don't have anything like that in Italy or in Europe, as far as I know. Uh, I mentioned your uh, your office is in the UN and you, you, you've also covered... Other things, you have this uh, international relations and human rights. So have you um, been able to utilize those skills in in some of your uh, published works for La Voce? So I was invited back in June to a really interesting event. It was 15 days before the Russia World Cup started and the Russian permanent mission at the United Nations headquarters invited all the reporters to present what was going to happen in the World Cup. And... I remember uh, they offer Russian food. There was a very famous Russian singer and they started praising the Russian government. And for me, it was amazing. I didn't know how I was going to write an article about this Russian public diplomacy exercise because I couldn't mention propaganda. That's what I thought. But uh, the Russian permanent mission made sure that we tagged them on Twitter. So, of course, I wanted to be polite but at the same time I really wanted to express my opinion on the things that were being said being the Russian government did such an amazing job welcoming people with disabilities and at the same time I was thinking what about political opponents in Russia and what about 
homosexuals in Russia. What about them? Yeah, so you were uh, conflicted a little bit as to how you'd present this. Yeah, it's kind of the same with the MLS because, you know, so I wrote the first article (laughs) and I was really impressed, genuinely impressed about the MLS. And I, I was really happy about the stadium as well and the fact that you don't need to separate the supporters, the host supporters, the supporters of the other team as it happens in Europe. Well, they're not separated by uh, fences, by fences, but they're put in different portions of the stadium. Yes, right. But I traveled to D.C. and the, the, NYC, the NYCFC supporters were basically only a few steps away from the D.C. supporters. Not the DC, yeah, the DC supporters, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that trip a little bit. So this is uh, now. Did you do this uh, for a story? Were you just uh, kind of doing it out of uh, interest yourself to see exactly what's going on with the supporters on these road trips? It's the recent trip to uh, DC United and the new Audi Field. I'm still happy that I could join the NYCFC supporters. We left the Bronx at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. And I was really surprised about the amount of supporters that joined the trip, despite being hungover, most of them. They still had the strength to sing all the way to D.C. for hours and a half in the bus. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation that came up from this trip about the stadium, of course, which was their major concern, about the results in the past two months, about what I call conspiracy theory. I heard a supporter saying that it's not Dome's fault that the past few games hadn't been, let's say, exceptional as far as results are concerned. But it was Castellanos bringing his mate, his tea, to the locker (laughs) rooms and making everybody emotional. (laughs) That was really funny. What can you tell us about that tea? Oh, that mate is like a drug. It's better than coffee. So if caffeine doesn't work for you, I think you should try mate. That's what I did. I studied in Argentina for a semester. I was in Santa Fe. Santa Fe is the province where Rosario, which is more famous because Messi was born in Rosario as well. The first time that I tried mate, I remember I couldn't sleep the whole night because it's so strong. It's a hundred times stronger than coffee. And it's a social ritual for Argentinian they just meet at a park. I mean, you see Castellano doing that. Well, I was taken classy. aback a little bit after his very first game. He had scored. It was against Vancouver 2-2 at Yankee Stadium. And we were waiting to uh, to speak to him. And he had this... Uh, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, so the cup itself has to be a very good cup. Before The first time that you buy this kind of cup, you cannot use it right away. You have to leave the mat insides for a couple of days and throw it, then pour it again then wait, then pour it. And that's how you prepare the cup for the matter ritual, and then it's ready to be used. And The you, ritual, what does that mean? The ritual is uh, sitting in a circle. There's a person that is responsible for pouring the water and passing it along and passing the cup along to the other people. And they all use the same straw, and it's very rude to clean the straw or refuse to use the same straw as the other people. It sounds spiritual, maybe. It is very spiritual, and the effect is very spiritual, especially if you're not used to this amount of caffeine at the same time. So, uh, Ilaria, you just arrived this year, so you missed Andrea Pirlo. I know. And his uh, years here with uh, New York City FC. I'm curious, so you're back home, uh, Pirlo signs with New York City FC and MLS. 
wondering what the uh, supporters, the media, just the public in general, uh, those that followed the game, what, what was the initial impression? So the thing is, whenever a football player, I would say football, sorry, I mean soccer player, It's okay, leaves way. European leagues, we kind of forget about him. That's what happened with Carlos Tevez when he went back to Argentina, even after he played with Juventus. That happens with all the players that go to China, and we have a lot of them going to China uh, these days. So even Pirlo, we would remember about him whenever uh, there was a big Italian national team game. We missed him, of course, especially in the national team, because he was the guy that brought us the World Cup in 2006. He's a hero, even if he played for Juventus at the end of his days in Serie A. I want to ask you about uh, being a female and a soccer journalist. Sometimes I'm the only reporter. Sometimes we are two or three female reporters coming to the locker rooms. I feel welcomed nevertheless. I think they're more welcoming than in Italy. I think the work ethics here in the United States is much better than in Italy, than in my country, which is really sexist and conservative. Is that possibly a reason that you're no longer there or that you're not seeking a professional career in Italy? That's right. I think it's very hard to seek a professional career in Italy if you're a female reporter and if you're not willing to compromise with sexists. Let me give you an example. When I came to the Yankee Stadium for the first two or three matches, I was sending a lot of pictures to my friends and co former co-workers back in Italy. And I remember one of them, when I took a picture of Patrick Vieira, who happened to be an exceptional coach, and I'm really in love with him. It was really nice to me all the times that I went there and I asked him questions. I remember one of my former co-workers In a group chat, he said, oh, who did you have to sleep with to get to the Yankee Stadium and to get to the locker rooms? And there was something that I think in the United States would have never happened. It's impossible that a, co a former co-worker would tell you these things. And that's how I stopped talking to this person because even I talked to him afterwards after a couple of months and I said that I was really hurt by his comments. And he kept saying that it was a joke. And he found that joke to be okay. So what is it that attracts you to the city? I love that nobody judges you, that you can do whatever you want, respecting other people, but at the same time feeling free to do it. I love that you can hang out with a lot of people from different uh, nationalities, from different communities. So whatever you want to travel to another part of the world while staying in New York City, you can actually do that. You, you can find so many interesting people and so many stuff to do. And even if I complain at the end of the day that I get never time to stay at home with my cats, <laughs> I'm still happy to be here. Elaria Moroni. And she later told me that the former manager of her beloved Napoli, Maurizio Sarri, was forced to apologize for sexist comments to a female journalist. The current Chelsea coach said, quote, you're a woman, you're beautiful. For those two reasons, I won't tell you to go F yourself, end of quote. That was March of 2018. Elaria and others, including WNYE, will be covering the New York City FC-Philadelphia Union match on Wednesday, opening round of the MLS playoffs. It'll be the second match in four days between the two. City beat the Union 3-1 in the regular season finale on Sunday, securing the home game at Yankee Stadium for this single elimination playoff game. 
which will be carried live here on WNYE. NYCFC held an open training session on Monday at Yankee Stadium. The mood was light after just the second win in 10 matches. Yeah, we're in a good mood. Of course, we, we finished the season uh, exactly the way we wanted with a, with a win. And uh, even more important, we, we played in the way we, we want, uh, especially at home. If you look at the first 20 minutes and uh, look at the whole first half, we, we play exactly the way we wanted with aggressivity and uh, very intense uh, style of, of playing. So. so if we can play in that way, I think we, we are the best team in the league. That's City fullback Anton Tinnerholm. New York City captain David Villa, he scored his team-leading 14th goal of the season in the victory over the Union, and he spoke about the winning sense. We're talking about before that we need to win for, for face the playoff with, with good feelings, no? and, yeah. and we get it. When you win, you are more confident uh, in everything. You are more uh, believe in, your, in yourself, in your, in your teammates, in the team, and, and that's it's important. Also important to play at home, where City finished with a 12-1-4 record in the Bronx. Airtime, WNYE, 7 o'clock on Wednesday for the pregame with head coach Dome Teron. I'm Glenn Crooks. That'll do it for Soccer City. Have a great week of soccer.